What's going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff? Well, as you were saying, Mamma Mia. Here, here we go, we go again. again. Yes, uh, my, my. A hundred thousand cases a day, Fauci my, says. My, my. <laughs> Oh my. my my mama mia mama mama here we go yet again um history repeats itself like one month later yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know it's not a laughing matter but it really is it's a caution it's, like- it's a cautionary tale for Amer- u.s american trash people <laughs> we are so embarrassing oh it's my really God. Just, <laughs> we are such trash it's so it's so um wow it's shocking i'm just like what 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 why can't people just put on a mask and like stop stop uh, in one moment like covid is exploding and then you, you hear tell of these places that are like, we're going to just like open up restaurants and public pools and hair cutters and, you know, wherever, gyms, wherever else you want to go, who cares? And then you're like, you know what's going to happen. Like you, you absolutely know. And know. as if these people yeah. didn't know. It's really like the horror movie that, you know, I mean, talk about short term memory loss. It is um, really wild. Look, I I understand that people feel caged and they're like, oh, my God, like I can't go and be touched by my masseuse. I don't even know. But like (laughs) literally like you can go outside, you can get food, you can go to a park, like wear your mask like you are not in jail. You are a free person. I mean, well, I mean, I don't know. But then there's like these psycho people who are like, you are denying me the breath of God. That like video that Lang was sending around of uh, that woman and like these people. I mean, seeing these mm. people walk up to people and cough on them when they get yelled at in stores. Oh, no. Do you see that? No. Oh, yeah. This woman uh, walks up. They're, they're like, you have to put a mask on. Her daughter is standing there watching her become totally psychotic. And she walks up to the person filming her and coughs on them. I mean, okay. So, look, I'm no fascist, but, like, you, United States people have been given too many freedoms, quite frankly. So, it's really, like, it's time to take some freedoms away. I, I can't. It's insane. Like, Follow a rule. Just follow a rule. One. Just wear a mask. That's the only one people are asking. And but they're like, no. They really are. I saw Peju um, from the Martha Graham mm. Company, formerly, has gone to Taiwan for some reason, and she Taiwan has quarantined people in such a way that as soon as you get off the plane, they send you into a hotel room where you cannot open the window. You cannot leave for a meal. The meals are left outside your door three times a day, and you stay in that room for three weeks. Three? Or no, two. I'm sorry, two, two weeks. Two, yeah. I, I said three because I was thinking of meals. I'm uh-huh. sorry. But, you know, whatever. I don't care. This is – I'm just going to stay here. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, in L.A.? Well, basically in this house. <laughs> right. Right. That is, that is pretty much, yes, I will go back to, I mean, next week I'll be in Brooklyn for a moment. And then, but even that, I mean, I live, I live in a building with just with a couple below me and I'm just going to call them and be like, Hey, can you wear a mask as you come in and out of your apartment? Um, uh, that's, that's smart. And let's just do that. And and or if you go and do laundry in the basement and, um, you know, just indoor indoor realities. But what's wild is like, well, that's reality. And people are like, mm. but I'm like, I just don't like reality. Or they're like, well, but maybe it's not. It's that's the part that's so shocking to me. We're like, well, it's literally reality. 
Well, people have been, um, they've been getting very used to a lack of reality coming from the highest places of government in our land. So Totally. I mean, we have a, a president who like knew that uh, there were bounties being placed on uh, the heads of American soldiers um, by the Russians. And he was like, ah, whatever, Putin, I love you. Please visit. <laughs> <laughs> It was so wild. His also his whole denial of like knowledge about it. Like it's so sickening. It's just um, so gross. And, you know, it's yeah, it's it's a rough one. Yeah. Well, anyways, today we have something pretty extraordinary for our listeners and that will help to shift our minds into a different place for at least an hour. Yeah. Well, and today also is just part one, so it's it's these next it's it's a it's a two week uh, episode, and um, yeah, it's just the beginning of a journey into the universe of Merce Cunningham, and you know some of the politics around that company. And today we're speaking with three remarkable men, all of whom danced for Merce Cunningham, but none of them simultaneously to to any of the others. They represent the three men of color. Well, the three black men specifically who danced for Merce. There was one other who is no longer alive. Ulysses Dove. <clears throat> yes, Ulysses Dove. And there will be some discussion around Ulysses in episode two of this podcast. I'm really excited for you to hear this interview. Uh, the first part, you're going to hear about their backgrounds and their trajectory into the company and then it will be next week in the second episode that we get into a more involved and complicated discussion around race and politics and dance specifically i'm sorry i'm clearing my throat specifically around merce and his company and also you know jack we discuss what that meant for other companies and those makers too. So absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want to give anything away because it is such a riveting discussion. Yeah. It was a a huge honor to be able to talk with these three dancers. And uh, I hope that you enjoy ladies, gentlemen, another. So enjoy our interview with Gus Solomons, Michael Cole and Rashawn Mitchell. I have been very curious to hear people's thoughts on Cunningham and and sort of his relationship to race, but only through dancers' firsthand experience. Uh, It's hard to speak on a topic like this about someone who can't participate in the conversation. So, but we can, we can hear some of Merce's voice, hopefully through you guys. And so to start, I was just curious from each of you to know where you're from and how your dance experience led you to Merce. And third of all, what you do now. So this question will exclude everything from your experience inside the company. And let's start with Gus Solomons. Okay. Where I'm from, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. And I uh, met, I didn't meet Merce. I met Carolyn at Dance Circle. She would teach. Merce would come for the first session, the first week of the, the series, and then he wouldn't come anymore. He'd send Carolyn. And somehow I never was there for the first session, so I only met Carolyn. And I thought, hmm, this looks a lot like Chiquetti, and I don't like Chiquetti. Because Chiquetti's ballet. <laughs> <laughs> but then, um, and I'm not sure of the sequence, but I did see uh, crises uh, in the park, and that was the first time I had seen Versus Company live, and I, that after I saw that performance, I just said, that, okay, that's what I want to do. That's enough architecture. And I came to New York and started studying with Lots of people. I had a, I had a scholarship at Martha's, and I I took ballet at Joffrey, and I went to Murphy's because I couldn't resist that way of moving. What was your um, like academic experience prior to 
to Merce, prior to dance in general? Okay, prior to dance, it was the womb. I, I started dancing when I was four in Sunday school <laughs> at Rush Amy Zion. And uh, that was not acceptable, so I got spanked. But I just, I knew I had to dance. And I, so I danced and I watched the movies. I watched all the musical, the MGM musicals. And, and then went home and copied the steps and taught myself to dance around. And then when I got, and then all through high school, I did what I call dancing, which was like tap and some acrobatic. I did a lot of contortionism, which didn't do my back any good. I didn't know that at that point. And, um, then when I got to MIT, because I had to study something real at college, and I looked in the catalogs, and architecture seemed the least reading and the most like something creative. So, uh, and I got a bigger scholarship to MIT than to Harvard, so I went to MIT. I got a full scholarship, actually. Uh, I know, right? Genius. (laughs) I was not dumb. But but then I auditioned for the tech show, and uh, they said, can you choreograph? And I said, what does that mean? Do you mean makeup dances? And I said, oh, yes, I can do that. You know, like you always say at an audition. And so I ran across the bridge to the Boston Conservatory and enrolled for a class with Jan Veen in Modern Dance. And that was the Laban Big Man method. It's very helpful because it taught you to see movement from the outside and do it, not to feel it from the inside. It just was, my arm went that way, okay, my arm went that way, so forth. Anyway, so that was my first formal study. And then, as I got more involved in dance, all these different people came to the to dance circle, including Merce and everybody. And that's where I first got uh, learned about Merce's work. And, and what are you doing now? Nowadays, I'm uh, rehabbing, trying to get myself able to walk again so I can ride my bicycle again. And I'm mentoring mostly, mentoring choreographers. Really, that's all. Everything else has dropped away. I'm not writing because there's nothing to write about. <laughs> and I'm not sure I would even be able to write about it. performance I saw online, although nothing is impossible. Anyway, so that's what I'm doing. And I'm wasting a lot of time, and I'm, I'm uh, doing a lot of computer games. And I'm working out in my studio because the gym is closed. And it's not, it's not sufficient. It's not the same thing. But you have a very nice dance studio across the street from Absolutely. ABT. And I'm it just I want to cry every time I look across the street at ABT and the door is boarded up. Plywood. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's sad. You it used to be sad. able to see people rehearsing in there from across the street, right? Well, no. I on the front side, on the Broadway side is all offices. And the studios are on right. the well, except well, on the fourth floor there's a studio on the corner. But the big studios are on the 19th Street side, yeah, so I yeah. can't peek at their at their classes. But and Michael, where where are you? Uh, I um, I'm from Philadelphia. Uh, that's where I grew up. I was born in New York. My parents divorced. We moved to Philadelphia, um, where I went to a um, a country day school for boys. This private um, school, not boarding school. Um, I took dance lessons at that time with my sister, but being in an all-boys school, um, that's not what you do. So I stopped, and I decided that I wanted to become an actor. That was my my big thing. Yes. (laughs) So I auditioned for the musical theater department at Carnegie Mellon University. Um, famous. Famous, yeah, except for the fact that, you know, I mean, I was living in in a world of magical thinking. So, you know... That's, that's the only place that I applied to. Um, and <laughs> dumb. Um, so I didn't get into that department. But my grades were good enough. You know, it's a research one institute. I won as a general studies major, studied acting, you know, and then tried again the second year. 
that year I also didn't get into Carnegie Mellon, um, but I did get into North Carolina School of the Arts. I went there. And then I realized after about a year, oh, maybe the reason why I didn't get into Carnegie Mellon's acting department is because I'm the worst actor in this class. (laughs) (laughs) And I was simultaneously the best dancer. And, you know, at that point, like, you know, already blowing the one year at Carnegie Mellon, I knew that my undergraduate years would be, you know, would be a five-year program. Um, so, you know, two years are wasted and um, the dance department seems to be beckoning me. So um, I switched majors and the good news was that it was a three-year program. So I could do the five years. Um, this is important. At the end of that three years, which was the end of my fifth year of school, the dean decided that we weren't good enough to go to New York to get dance work. So they were going to make it into a four-year program, meaning that I was going to be in school for six years before getting my fucking BFA. And um, I was just like, look, I can't like commit this financial felony on my mother. I can't do it. And so, <laughs> so they, uh, they agreed. They said, okay, at the end of the year, we're going to give you your degree if, one, you dance with the dance company for a full year, and two, if you also go to an accredited dance school. And I was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. Now, I mean, in retrospect, I'm like, dance in the company and go to school full time? I mean, like, ridiculous. But I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, you know, because, you know, I was already long in the tooth. I was already old and um i thought when you say old you mean you were 24 uh 2022 <laughs> but even that you know i mean <laughs> old man um and so you know i, I went to the ailey school because um you know it's just well-rounded you're you know getting grand you're getting important you're getting ballet you're getting baton twirling like all of it um <laughs> and you know i auditioned for the scholarship i got it i was elated until I found out what the schedule was. And that is like, I don't know, I'm just, you know, 15 classes a week and, you know, right. 20 hours of work study. It was, it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I had already been hired into Mark Dendy's company at the time, which was great. Oh, that was wow. my first New York yeah. dance job. Amazing. What year were you hired with Mark? Uh, 1986. Wow. Oh! Wait, what's that about, Jack? Wow, what? I was wondering if I saw you and I'm going to my room to be cool now and I want to be left alone. I have not seen that. I don't, no, no, no. I wasn't. No, I was in the era of um, we were still doing Beat and Hush was my first right. world premiere, which was great. Okay. Yeah. Oh, how come? Oh, steps. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't say oh. how come. I was, I was just tracking. I was tracking when I got to New York and I was like, oh, well... You know, she must have been in the company in like, you know, the late 90s, yeah. maybe early aughts. Yeah. Maybe I saw yeah. her. No, and, no, um, she was not there then. Incredible. So, you know, Ailey, like their schedule, I couldn't do it. And I spoke to a friend of mine who went to uh, School of the Arts who was already in New York, um, Sarah Perrin, who also danced with Mark Denning. She was like, oh, well, I'm taking class at the Cunningham studio. You should try it. So, um, you know, that next Monday was a scholarship audition. So my first Cunningham class was a scholarship audition. I got it. Like, yay. Um, and, and the beautiful thing is that what they required of you was only a six class a week minimum or maximum, really. That's all you had to do. And two hours of work study. And so that was easy. And then, you know, I, my work study job was to work in the archives with David Vaughn and he never had anything for me to do. So <laughs> I would just, you know, it was like, well, here are the videotapes, watch him. And I did. And the combination of, um, watching those videos downstairs on the second floor, then going up to the 11th floor and taking class and going back and forth, watch, do, watch, do it just all sunk into my psyche and I fell in love. Mm. So um, fast forward, um, you know, many years and I, you know, have my career with the company. Um, and, and here's one side note. So to answer your question about what do I, what I do now, I'm a computer animator and motion graphics designer for NBC News. Wow. Um, and, you know, people are like, well, how the hell did you get there? Because I danced with Miss Cunningham. 
literally, um, with all of his, um, you know, in the 90s, his explorations with um, choreographing on the computer. I got a copy of that computer program when I was still dancing, started making my own computer dances, and went to grad school and studied. So cool. When you went to grad school, what did you go for? I um, I have two graduate degrees. I know it's weird, but um, <laughs> the first one was in dance and technology at Arizona State, and the second one is full-on computer animation at the uh, Academy of Art College um, in San Francisco. Wow. You moved around. And you were like, I, I don't want to stay in San Francisco. I'm going to go back to the East Coast with its wonderful weather. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> how well you know me, Jack. <laughs> I mean, well, because also San Francisco in terms of animation and yeah. tech, it would have also been such a hub at that point. Uh, it was actually really weird. Once I graduated, I couldn't find work there. Huh. I mean, I was with a partner and I really wanted to live there. But I couldn't find work. And when I came back to New York, I, I got a job with New York Times Television animating. Like, so many things fell into place here. I don't know why. We might need your help yeah. on some projects. I don't know. And so let's move to Rashawn. Rashawn, tell us your story. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta in Georgia. And... I went to public school. I mean, we didn't have, I wasn't exposed to dance in any way. Like there wasn't anyone that I knew that was a dancer. So I didn't know that it could even be a profession. We didn't have dance or theater or art or anything in school. It was pretty bad, but we used to like, we used to like make up routines on the street corner. I remember doing like dances to Belle Biv DeVoe and like Arrested Development. And yeah, um, and I ended up like escaping this environment. I went to, I got a scholarship to a boarding school. I went to Concord Academy, which is um, outside of Boston. So there's the sort of Boston connection we have. And that was... My mom's from Boston and grew up with Gus Solomon's. Oh, yes. We went to oh, church yes. together. Wow. Love it. Love it. I, again, like Michael, I thought I wanted to do theater. I, you know, I was really into theater. I did musicals. I did like an embarrassing one man show called About Face. What was <laughs> it about? <laughs> it was about identity. You know, it was, I was 17. I don't know what it was about. Um, yes, you do. I full remember my no, like I, early, I, like my early one person shows. <laughs> It's too embarrassing. I remember loving this movie called Where the Day Takes You, which was about like a bunch of homeless kids in LA. And I, there were these scenes um, where one of the characters would, was, you know, in therapy, basically. And I like sort of took the script from those scenes and memorized them. I did a dance to Ani DeFranco. I like, <laughs> I don't know. It was all over the place. Um <laughs> So badass. Needless to say, theater was really not my calling. So, so I that's where I also started dancing. And I they had a dance department. It was part of the PE program. And I had like thought I was trying to do uh, um, team sports, and learned pretty quickly that that was not for this gay boy. Um, and so I started taking dance classes, but I didn't really take it seriously. Um, but I, I enjoyed them, and my teachers were Richard Colton and Amy Spencer, who both danced for Twyla Tharp. Um, and they kind of encouraged me to go, recommended Sarah Lawrence College, which is where I went to school. Um, and that's where I studied with Viola Farber, who was an original company member of the Cunningham Company. So that was where I was first um, introduced to the Cunningham technique, and I remember hating it. I remember thinking that it was really awkward. I thought it was ugly. I didn't understand it. And I was also at the time a really in, like hardcore club kid and raver. And I would yes. go. Yes, rave. Yeah. I mean, I was all about just going to the city and partying and dancing like my ass off all night long. And then I would come to class in the morning at nine o'clock if I made it there and just, you know, be trying to put myself through these sort of awkward shapes that I didn't understand. And I remember feeling very conflicted about that and like almost, you know, completely flunking out of school and 
struggling with my identity. I mean, I would go to ballet class in a full face of makeup. I mean, I just was, you know, it was a really different time for me, but um, Michael's laughing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And when you were going to Couch in the City, were you like, was that tunnel then? It was Tunnels, uh, Twilo a lot. It was um, Body and Soul. Uh, It was like lots of different raves. Uh I mean, yeah, yeah, Yeah. totally. Um, So somehow I managed to graduate from that department and from that school. (laughs) And I... I remember being really poor, you know, right out of grad, like out of college, just trying to like, I couldn't pay my rent each month. And I would like eat like a a bagel in the morning and a slice of pizza at night. And that was all I could afford. $1.25, I remember is how much it cost. Carb loading. Carb loading. Um, I had some like little, I had some dance jobs, but they weren't really pay me enough, you know, they were sort of pickup companies and um, I wasn't taking class. I couldn't afford to take class. So I decided to go to the Cunningham studio because they had a scholarship program. Again, I wasn't interested in it. I didn't like it. Wasn't trying to get into the company. Didn't care. (laughs) Um, I just, I felt like I needed to train and, you know, so I went and I auditioned and I got a scholarship. And at that time it was eight classes a week. So, yeah, and it wasn't, yeah, that's how I sort of entered through those doors and, Mm. you know, eventually got asked to become an understudy and got into the company. Great. And what what do you do nowadays, Rashawn? Now I'm just trying to figure out how to survive this crazy world. Um, (laughs) I'm living right now in upstate, in the Catskills, upstate New York, Um, and I'm on sabbatical from school. I teach at NYU at Tisch School of the Arts. So I've been living up here full time and was like really fortunate to be in this environment when the pandemic hit. Mm. There's a lot of space. There's a lot of nature. Um, and si- Silas and I, my partner, Silas Reiner, we have been like reconstructing this house, you know, with our sort of bare hands and like building a dance deck a la Anna Halprin. Yeah. I mean, it's not as glorious as hers, but it's 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 a thing. <laughs> well, her husband's um, an architect. Oh, exactly, Gus. You should have helped them. I didn't. I wasn't asked. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> when does your sabbatical end? Well, I have to go back in the fall. Right, and the, but but it's NYU, so you'll be doing Zoom. We're in the stages of planning still. Um, I think it'll be right. a, a hybrid kind of zoom and in person but you know it's like how do you plan for a class where you have to stay 10 feet apart and wear masks the whole time like and gloves and like it's just it's insane like we just got our bard packet which was like everyone will wear masks and gloves they'll be six feet apart and it was like and they will feel safe enough to move around heavily and to be vulnerable and wild like no right yeah Uh uh-huh and get really hot yeah. under their mask and, you know, break out. Yeah. We have some work uh-huh. ahead of us. Oh, yeah. It's going to be... It's going to be wild. The transition into the fall is going to be, like, the next big question mark. Um, I was curious from all three of you to kind of describe the landscape of company culture around Merce Cunningham during your time. So at what point, what were the years of your time in the company and what did the company look like in terms of touring and repertoire and the dancer's relationship to Merce personally. Okay. I, it, it was, um, you, most dancers in New York had some, an allegiance to F company. Mm. Either it was Lamone or it was Graham or it was usually not Cunningham. There were a bunch of people downtown who adored Cunningham. I didn't even aspire to be in that company because I didn't look like anybody in that company. Mm. Um, and I was dancing with with uh, Donald McHale and uh, Joyce Trisler and Earl Lang and Deborah Jowett. Wow. And various other kinds of people. And uh, but studying, always studying with Merce because that was amazing. I mean, I, it was very, very hard, but uh, it was good for me. Yeah. And where were you? Where were the classes at that time? 14th Street. And was it in Mer- Merce's loft or a studio? 
No, it was his studio. He didn't live there okay. that time. When we moved to Third Avenue, he lived in the loft over the studio. And when you took class with Merce in that time, were you training with the, like his company dancers? Was, is it kind of everybody at once? Everybody took class, yeah. I mean, yeah, we all took class together. And he made up steps for the dancers. What was your entree into the company? Did Merce one day just be like, dance for me? Kind of. <laughs> he said, um, one night after class, maybe he said, he invited me to go to dinner and we went to a little Italian restaurant on 16th Street, just off 6th. And he said, I have to go to the dance rooms. And I thought, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I floated home and this I had been asked to dance in Martha's company the, well the previous year we did one gig at Lincoln Center and the following year was 65 and she was preparing for her New York season which is what she did and there was no tour so I was rehearsing with her and Merce knew I was rehearsing with her but she didn't know I was rehearsing with her <laughs> scandal did Merce ever say don't tell mother. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, we we understood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you, you understood because, you, yeah, everyone knew. And it was like, it was the day after we closed the New York season with Martha that I had to fly to Chicago and dance my first concert wow. with Merce. It's like that. And the blackout, the first big New York blackout came in that year, during Martha's season. And they threatened to extend her season by a day. <laughs> so I went through a living hell for that 24 hours, so they decided they couldn't postpone her, I mean, they couldn't extend her season. And I breathed a sigh of relief that she could hear all the way to Chinatown. And I got on the plane and flew to Chicago, and that was that. And at that time, Merce had already, he was established as someone important in the dance world. So dancing for him felt... Ish. Sort of very, ish, okay. I mean, they were on the world tour in 64. Right. And that was that just destroyed the company. Everybody came back and they, were, they, they had had it. Right, so... Everything about Merce and John and dancing. So when you joined the company... Was it was there a big transition in terms of dancers? Were the original company members leaving? Everybody except uh, Carolyn and Viola. Yeah, they left. everyone. No, everyone yeah. except them. Right. So Carolyn and Viola stayed, and then you came in with a new crop of people. Right. It was me and uh, Albert Reed and Paul Petersall and oh, I can't remember the daughter of Benedict Pell something. Maybe. Oh, what? I didn't know that. Yeah, she came in as a kind of an apprentice, but we didn't have apprentices back then. So she danced and understudied and so forth. Huh. And then uh, Sandra came in maybe at that same time, and uh, Meg Harper shortly after that. And and did you guys, was it a, like a happy family of dancers, and was Merce sort of remote, or was he a part of the friendly group of people? No, he was, well, see, it wasn't the days of the, Volkswagen bus. Right. So we weren't quite as intimate as that had been, I guess. He was there in the back, and then he came into the studio and we worked, and then he went away and we were done. And all the women cried because he didn't tell her tell him if it was right or not. <laughs> and I said, Okay, Merce, I got it. This is what it's supposed to be. Now I'll practice it until I get it. But so the the happy family was not quite as intimate as it had been. Um, and I, I got, I had met David Vaughn in, I think in Boston when he was doing an acting show up there. And he kept encouraging me to go to Merce, go to Merce, go to Merce. And he told me who to dance with and who not to dance with. <laughs> so, so and so asked you to dance with her. <laughs> like he, he said, if Martha asks you to dance for her, don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And Gus, you you stayed for three years, and what instigated the departure? My back work. Oh, wow. Yeah, it started. I couldn't jump anymore because that, that that was my thing, jumping. I think that's what, mm. among other things, what attracted 
immersed to my dancing most, that I loved to jump and I jumped high, and he loved to jump and he jumped high. Um, and so, and my back had started uh, getting a little tweaky, and they didn't know why. But I, when I put my weight on my left foot, I couldn't, I felt like I had a stone bruise in my left foot, and I couldn't really feel my left leg. This was in 68, when we were at Buffalo in February, doing rainforest and walk-around time. Right. And then we got back to New York, and we were rehearsing Variations 5, I think, with the, the leaps around the antennae, and we were supposed to go leap, change direction in the air, and then come down. Change direction in the air, and come down. That was my favorite part. And when we rehearsed, every time I landed, I just felt agonizing pain on the left side of my back. So it got to, the, I think we were rehearsing for a gig that night or the next night, somewhere in Long Island maybe, and I just couldn't, you know, I just land and cry. And so I said, I have to leave the company. And he said, okay, all right. And he replaced me that minute. Mm. With Chase Robinson. <laughs> wow. Uh, like that. Because he doesn't stop. Right. You know? Right. So that's 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 how that happened. And then when I was when I went to uh, Carolyn Brown's book signing years later, <laughs> she said, "Gus, why did you leave us?" And I said, "Well, I thought I had been replaced." And I didn't realize it was an opportunity. So if I just made that phone call, said, Merz, I'm better now, my whole life would have been different. Oh. oh. Mm. Wow. Mm. But instead of that. Instead of that, I was making my own dances. And after, uh, after that May, yeah. was, was it May? I think it was March or May, an M month. Uh, so I healed over the summer because they didn't know what it was and they didn't have MRIs, so they couldn't look inside. They said, well, these two vertebrae are a little closer together than the others, so maybe we'll look, we'll go inside and look. And I said, no, no, no that's okay. <laughs> so I just rested and planned what I would do with the rest of my life, including teaching music, being a, a visual artist, you know, those kinds of things. I never considered <laughs> architecture, really. Um, and then by you have to let go of those things that you studied in college yeah whatever (laughs) there's the degree take it dead Uh, but then by the fall of the late summer I was I was dancing again and I got invited to do a piece a video piece by WGBH in Boston that was late summer of 68 and I was okay and it was a solo piece that I just got carte blanche to do whatever I wanted to. So I designed all these animation things that were done by, you know, I I was assuming that videotape was edited the same way audio tape was. You know, so I decided this one section I wanted to be kind of stop motion, so I wanted to cut out every other inch of tape, splice it together, (laughs) so it would be kind of stop motion. Anyway, and and the producer, amazing man, Rick Hauser, just made it happen. I have no idea how much over budget they went. And the truck was in the parking lot that had the computers to do this stuff electronically. <laughs> but it hadn't wow. been installed yet. Anyway, that, so that piece is... And it was stereo video. So you watched on two screens at once. So you had to scan the way you do when you're watching something on stage. And what year was this? 68. I mean, wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. You're so ahead of everything. Wow. Right? Because oh. I hung out at, well, I was around Jetson. That's right. Well, there you go. I was breaking the rules yeah. <laughs> and learning what was possible. Yeah. And and so, Michael, by the time you were joining the company, what were things looking like? They were already at West Beth, so it was, they had a home base. They were, right. Yeah. Yeah. That that was the home base. And I guess what? They, they'd been there for... A while. I mean, there were all of those um, uh, dance uh, films that Charlie Atlas made in West Beth in the 70s. It was very established when I got there and was, was taking classes 
Um, it's funny if you look at their like two technique videos made at around that time or like right before it got to the studio, the elementary technique and intermediate technique um, films. And so they, they have like the five demonstrators, you know, who are doing the, the back exercises perfectly. But then they cut away to an example of the entire class doing the same thing. And back then, the classes were massive. Yeah. They, there were so many people in the room, um, you know, and you were like fighting for space, you know, especially since so much of that movement took up a lot of space. So, you know, when you, when you got a scholarship at that time, it like really kind of meant something, you know, um, cause there was, there was a lot of competition and then, you know, little by little, you started seeing people get into the, into the company, you know, Susan Quinn leaves and then the reason the gold gets in is like, oh wow, it's all really possible. I knew her when she was a student then, you know, um, so it's really funny at one point, this is like a, a little side note, but um, I had already been there for like about two, some trimesters or whatever it is. And, you know, at the time I just thought, I want to audition. You know, I already like stopped dancing with Mark Dendy, I think at that point, um, or he just had no work. And I wanted to audition to, you know, I just kept auditioning because I wanted that practice. And uh, so I auditioned for the David Gordon Pickup Company, which I just seen at BAM, which I enjoyed. But I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not that kind of dancer. He'll never hire me. And he hired me. <laughs> and so I thought, I need to take this opportunity. And um, so word got back to Merce that I'd taken this job. And I auditioned for the following scholarship. And um, my name wasn't on the list. <gasps> So I spoke to the studio administrator and I was just like, okay, what's happening? And she said, well, I think you need to talk to more. So, you know, here I was, it was 22, 23, something like that. I corner Merce. And, you know, if you know the West Beth studio, there are these stairs leading up to the um, video projection room. And I cornered him and I said, why am I not on that list? I mean, I can't believe the gall, but I did. <laughs> like, why am I not on that list? And he was like, oh, oh, well, I, I don't believe that you can do those two things at the same time well. And I said, look, Merce, I know what the schedule is. The touring schedule, I mean, we're going away, but it's not so much. And definitely we're in the city. I mean, six classes a week. I will make all of those classes up. I promise you. It's like, I still don't believe you can do it. And so the scholarship was taken away. Somehow I kept taking class there and nobody charged me anything. So I guess I kind of effectively still had a scholarship even, but just, you know, not in name. And, and I did it actually. I did all the rehearsals, all the touring with David, and then I came back and I, you know, kept a tally of all of my classes, and I made sure that at the end of that trimester, I had taken six classes a week. I threw my back out, but I did it. And then I also, you know, like after six months, I left David's company because in the course of taking all those classes, I realized, no, this is where I need to be. So I left. Um... And then, you know, went the long, arduous process of being a student, but not being in the company. And, um, you know, my best friend from North Carolina was Kimberly Bartosik. She had just, she had stayed that extra year in school and she came up to New York. She became my roommate. Where should I, should I study, Michael? I'm at the Cunningham studio. Give it a try. She goes. Uh, there's both a man and a woman leaving the company at the same time. And I swear to you, within a month of Kimberly moving to New York, she had that female slot. And then the male slot went to somebody else and not me. And Kimberly was my roommate. And I thought I was going to kill myself. <laughs> was that when you were studying with me? Because you were studying with me at some point. And you saying, I did. I, yes, I did. Oh, so, yeah, I you're... want it so much. I want it so much. And I said, be careful. Don't want it too much. Mm -hmm. Oh, you, oh I don't remember that conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't. Wow. He wanted it, he he wanted it too much. To, yeah. He wanted it too <laughs> no, much. Right? Yeah, he wanted it so much. It was like, uh, okay. She was not trying to hear you. <laughs> were you yeah. Were you able to stay friends with Kimberly or was that hard? Oh, no. She's so, no. It, it, yes. I mean, we were friends. I mean, in, at that particular moment, that's the thing. I would go inward uh, and say to myself, you love her. 
you love her deeply. She didn't do this to you. <laughs> it's just what happened. Merced. Um, and right. And then, you know, and they had their season. Her first season with the company was at the Joris. They were there for a month of repertory. I don't know how they did that expansive repertory on that stage, but they did. And every night that I wasn't bussing tables at Claire Restaurant at 7th Avenue, I was at the Joyce watching them. And, and Kimberly was so beautiful and, and she just made me cry and actually really made me want it more. So, and then, and also by that time I became an understudy. So oh, I knew there was a path. Yeah. There was definitely a path. And then what happened, you know, after a year and a half or whatever, Alan Good got terribly injured after um, their city center season. And I went to visit him in the hospital. Oh my God, Alan, you all right? Blah, blah, blah. That next Monday in rehearsal, um, Chris Comar comes up to me and says, Here, here's the videotape. Start learning this part. <laughs> and it was Alan Goods' part in Five Stone Win. Cutting him away. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on? Next day, um, Suzanne Galler, the costume designer, says, hey, Michael, come here. Um, let me take a couple of measurements. <laughs> Alan Good's tall. I'm tall. I actually fit his costumes really well. And then, That's show business. I know, yeah, right? right? You're like, can exactly. I have a contract? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, let's put this costume on and go out and dance first. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, pretty, pretty much. Wow. And so, you know, and their next big, they had like about a month off, which is when I learned all this stuff. And then we went to the Kennedy Center and I made my debut there. Wow. And what and year was that? That was 1989. Cool. And so, you know, I mean, I was a nervous wreck, but I, I did the best that I could. And um, in May of that year, Alan was still out, but he shares the same birthday as Rob Wood, who was in the company. They were having a birthday party backstage. And then um, Merce um, said, Michael, oh, Michael, come here. And so I went over and he says to me, stick around. And I looked at him like, what? what? What are you talking about? So weird. And then he says, I know, it's so weird. And, and he says, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to Marlene, who was the company manager. So I went up to her and she said, um, you're in the company. And what it also meant is that, you know, because Alan was actively trying to, you know, rehabilitate himself, he, you know, he was not being let go. So Merce actually expanded the company and created a new position in the company with me. Great. So, yeah, it Damn. was really cool. Double thing. <laughs> <laughs> and what years did you dance? I guess I didn't Merce? want it enough, Gus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, what, Jack? What years did you dance for Merce? What years? Yeah. Um, 89 to 98. Long time. So, long time. A long time. time. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I've got good numbers, 89 to 98. And then when were you done? Um, when, uh, January, um, had my last performance at the Paris Opera, January of 98. I should have rephrased that. Why were you that? <laughs> um, body injuries, number one. Number two, uh, on the one hand, I was making computer animated dances and I was loving it, um, as a choreographer that way. There was this long period of time in my last, like, you know, like three years, but it seemed interminable. Um, or maybe even longer than that, where I just hated all the dances that Merce was making. Um, I mean, no, I really did. You know, what I loved about Merce was that, you know, so much of the movement was just really expansive and big. And I noticed that with the first computer, you know, because there's, there's this idea with, with his work. In 93, it was really solidified where he separated the body or, you know, broke it down into component parts. So, you know, say there's a phrase on six, he'd choreograph a phrase on six for the legs. You'd learn that. Then, you know, in the, in the same six, you'd learn the phrase with the arms. You combine those two, like which is mental gymnastics. And then he'd add a, the third component, which was the spine and the head. You had to make sense of that. The first piece where he did that was Crowdspacer, which is a piece that I absolutely adored. But I did notice that in Crowdspacer, Mm. um, it was really significant. Instead of like, you know, so much of Merce's work is in second position or in fourth, which is about covering space. Crowdspacer was all of a sudden about fifth position. So everything was under itself. It became, you know, there was all this minutiae 
that piece I love, but then increasingly it became smaller and smaller, not as enjoyable physically, but just, you know, there's a period of dances where he, like, you know, we're doing dances with burger up, burger down, burger up. And it's like, what the, what is, uh, I hated it. So, you know, and then, then of course I made my announcement that I was leaving and, uh, what does he do? He makes pond way, which is fabulous. And I'm like, oh my God, fuck you. Like, mm. ugh, I could, you couldn't have done that sooner. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, did, uh, did his movement towards life forms and breaking down the body even further, did it create a, a big kind of chasm for a lot there of was a, yeah. people? Was there like a big yeah. exodus? Cause I read a quote from China, Laudicio, who was also yeah. like, I didn't like mm-hmm. this new approach. It yes. Wasn't well, you know, I mean, interesting that it's China who's saying that, because she was part of the new wave in, actually. There, you know, and I brought up Crowdspacer. Crowdspacer actually really is the, um, the dividing line, I think. Um, because there, you know, uh, we did Enter, which was the big piece um, dedicated to John Cage right after John died in the fall of, of 92. Um, and, you know, there was like, you know, the company was intact then. By the time we did Crowdspacer in July of 93, half of those members were gone. And then, and then, you know, the following year, more were gone. And that's when China joined. So, you know, and the other thing for me is that, like, you know, when I joined the company, there were all, you know, all of these dancers that were older than me that I looked up to. And like really, within about a year's time, they were all gone. And there are these new dancers who actually like the burger up, burger down. And I was like, oh, um, all right. <laughs> I don't know how well I fit into this. For those who don't know what burger up, burger down means, can you please explain uh, that? Yes. Please? It's like, you know. I don't know what that means. Right. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, it's like these, these hands. You can see me now. I'm sure this won't translate on the audio. But these hand positions where you were, you know, flipping your hands up and down sideways, doing oh. all of this, like, sort of, like, really... Who called like, it burger up, burger down? I think, I think it, a combination of, like, Banu Ogon, Tom Cayley, I think Banu. they came, or Glenn Rumsey maybe came up with um, burger up. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it right? Sounds like <laughs> it sounds like Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> Burger up, burger down. Absolutely. Glenn Rumsey, Glenn Rumsey. Which is also one of our t-shirts from this podcast. Um, that's really good. Wow. Oh, God. Here we are. Just burger up, burger down, girl. Yeah. Anyway, so, Michael, from the time that you left, there actually wasn't, it was only a couple years before, Rashawn, you show up and 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 show your face at the school. And what, what were things looking like yeah. at that point? It was January of 2001. And uh, the school, there was an international training program, actually. So you could get a visa to come into this country. So it was cool. There were a lot of uh, dancers there that I didn't see in other studios. Um, So I was part of that program. And I think six months later, was asked to be an understudy by Robert Swinston. And, you know, was terrified and had, took my first class with Merce and he used to t- teach in the the front corner of the room and I stood <laughs> in the very opposite corner <laughs> as far away as possible from him. So I was pretty terrified and um, I, you know, I could see him like peering over at me. And at one point he just says, you, <laughs> and he said something to me and I was like, ah, um, so, like, there was an intimidation factor for sure. Um, and, you know, everyone was so good. You know, I just couldn't believe that I was there. And after the class was over, he called me over to him. And he had this bar and he told me to hold on to it. And he told me to turn out in second position. And then he said, okay, now plie. And so I plied. And then he said, okay, now bring your heels more forward. 
And I did. And then he said, now straighten your <laughs> oh. legs. And it was just like this crazy thing, well, right? Well, Sean, you are incredibly he was like, turned Good. out. So maybe he, he was, it was Good. like an SAB audition. He was just checking, checking to I see I don't if think he- that I'm incredibly turned out, but I definitely tried. I worked at it. But um, yeah, he, he was like, Good, just keep going, you know? <laughs> and um, <laughs> so... I was an understudy for like two and a half years and there was a time when I was there by myself. It was kind of weird and lonely. And then there was just one other woman with me for a while. And then there was a group of four of us um, in that time. And we used to, at the time, the understudies would sort of hang out in the small studio and, you know, mostly would gossip and like, you know, do whatever we wanted to. We weren't really um, supervised and we would have to like learn certain dances and then in the breaks when the Cunningham when the company would go on breaks we would have to run in and like perform something really quickly for Merce <laughs> so just the weirdest structure um and we did some sort of performances like some outreach performances during that time um and I don't know I think Merce wasn't dancing you know I got into the company but I think it was when I was in that two and a half years when I was an understudy that I started to actually like the work because I got to watch the company and there was Mm. like a real culture of silence. I would describe it as, I mean, literally, but also conceptually, Mm. like we rehearsed in silence. Right. And so there was something really like focused and meditative about the, the environment itself and the studios had like big windows on all like two sides and it was really spacious and there was a lot of light. And I just remember loving that space. And I remember just loving just watching people move in silence and hearing like breath and hearing like footfalls. And that was when it sort of clicked for me, like, oh, this is actually really sort of transcendent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but, you know, at, I got into the company and, you know, Merce wasn't dancing anymore. So he wasn't in the work, you know, I think maybe he was still kind of dancing even when you were there, Michael. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah. so there was more separation between him and the company. He was kind of like a grandfather to us at that time. And so, um, you know, it was silent literally, but also I, I say silent in the sense that like, we didn't talk, we didn't talk about things. It wasn't a space where you talked about stuff. It was a space where you did stuff and mm. you didn't, talk about you know your your personal life you didn't talk about anything socio-politically related um you you really just you were just dancing and I think that that was hard but I I also feel like the flip side of that was that it was um it felt kind of a spiritual engagement you know, like you, you, this space where everything else got pushed away and you could just focus on mm. the kind of like very consuming physicality of what you were trying to do, because of course everything was impossible and no one could really do it. And somehow <laughs> we did it. Um, and the movements were even more sort of micro movements than even when you were there it just got it became more and more and more like isolated and I think you know our company was sort of relatively good at that kind of thing that's like what we did and I remember um it was also a time when they were doing every year or so they would do a reconstruction because they would get this grant to do reconstructions so we were sort of like moving back and forth between like this new computerized work And these old pieces that like, I felt like we couldn't really do very well, you know, that were much more like full bodied and much more sort of like slightly more organic. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that was more of a challenge for me, actually. Um, But mostly we didn't talk to Merce. And he, you know, we exchanged pleasantries um, about the weather and... Occasionally we would gather around him um, and he would talk to us about a venue that we were going to be performing in and what to expect, but it just was never, it was always technical. So that's the kind of culture that I remember, but we were all very close as dancers. I mean, it was a family, Um, you know, we, at that time we did a lot of touring still. Mm. So it was pretty like relentless. Um, Well, and you met Silas there, right? Silas didn't come until four years later. 
right. think he joined in 2000 and at the end of 2007 or 2008. Um, so, and he replaced Jonah Book Hare. Um, so I remember because yeah. I was living with Jonah at the time. Oh, really? Nice. Mm-hmm. And Shay. Nice. Yeah. And yeah. they both had the feet. So, the feet <laughs> yeah. are really wild. Yeah. yeah so, true. one had to replace the other. It was logical. <laughs> yeah, he did. Viola's he did. feet. Oh, Merce. Oh, he was like, I need. Uh huh. No, he, he used to replace body parts. Feet. That can fold yeah. in on themselves. Yeah. Bring me some rabbit wow. ear feet. There, there was always a there pair of There was some feet in there. Larissa, a lot of feet. It was Viola. A lot of feet. I almost like I didn't go because I was like, I don't have those feet. Like, I'm not going to get into that company. But yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. How, long, how long was it after Silas joined before you two went on a date? Um, oh. <laughs> I think we... <laughs> oh, Jack. <laughs> I think I might be blushing a little bit. Um. I think we tried to stay away from each other for about a year. Um, we were friends, you know, and so I think it was about a year in that mm-hmm. we first started to um, check that out. <laughs> and and you were there up until the very end. Yeah, I I mean I I wanted to leave earlier than that. Um, right. I had also had a back injury. I herniated a disc. And, you know, after that, I took some time off from the company. Luckily, we had a union. And so I was able to be paid while I was out for a few months and did a lot of rehab. But when I came back, it just never was really the same. I didn't have the same, like, feeling of uh, risk that I wanted to be taking in the movement mm-hmm. and I didn't have this sensation of joy as much. And I, um, and I also just felt like my body was starting to reject the movement overall, just from the accumulative effect of it. Um, mm-hmm. and I was getting older and I was wanting something new and different for myself, but, um, and you were also making your own work. And I had started making my own work. Yeah. Because there's this split bill that I first remember seeing at Skirball with you and Jonah with Anne. Yeah. Uh, with Anne Carson. Yeah, that was in 2000. That was in 2008. And I, yeah, I did that piece with Anne Carson. And then like a couple years later. I years sp- later, you do Knox. I started to do Knox, which was, right. which happened around mm-hmm. Merce's death. You know, so that was actually really intense for me because I was making a piece about death and loss and this huge figure in my life had died. And so I think the, and then the herniation Mm -hmm. came. So I think it was like the weight of all of that and the emotion like sitting in my body and everything. And, you know, and then once Merce was gone, it was sort of like, what's the point of staying around? Like, you know, I don't, I want the new work to be made um, on me. But then they announced um, the legacy ran. And so I decided to stick it out to the end. And I barely got through it really, really hard. I remember the very final performances at the Park Avenue Armory. And I had, we had just gotten back from a tour in Paris. And it was our last time in Paris. And we used to go every year to perform in Paris. And my back went out. And it was like a few hours before the show. Um, and we were scrambling and I was trying to teach my part to like, I was doing biped. Um, I did Tom, I did, oh my God. I did Tom Cayley's part in biped. It was one of my biggest parts. No. Yeah. And I had all right. of these crazy lifts and I was trying to teach the roles and we split them up amongst a few of the other company members. And I was in the wings, like oh. coaching them during the performance. <laughs> like it was insane. It was one of those crazy stories. Oh and then I remember like walking home to my hotel room after the show, like oh, I was God. walking sideways. Oh, I literally had to walk down the street sideways. Wow, Rashawn. So then we, like the week later was the Avenue, the, the, the armory shows. And it was literally my last right. performances, you know, so there was so much pressure and weight and like emotion. And I was getting physical therapy like all day and, <laughs> trying to do these shows and I just, I couldn't really dance. So that was a little bit upsetting for me, but that's, yeah, that's how I ended my tenure. Well, on that sad note, all three of you, your back was like, um, no.
All right. So that concludes part one. Please tune in next week for part two, which is a, a more complex discussion of the of of working within the company and what uh, it meant for the these three and what it means in a larger context of dance and race. Absolutely, it's really amazing. So I hope you can all come back and listen and and please uh, rate. View, what review, is it <laughs> rate, review, subscribe. Yes, do uh, those things, yeah. Uh, and uh, both on our iTunes and on our YouTube channel. Oh, and in case you didn't know, you can... Many of our episodes are now up on our YouTube channel yes. with the closed captioning. So if you have friends, relatives, other who have hearing impairment issues they can read through the episodes if they'd like to do that so we loves you and we'll see you back next week for the riveting conclusion to this episode